Hey everyone, happy holidays. We're giving you a special episode of Holiday Hot Takes, which include two of our past pilot episodes that were previously unreleased on iTunes. Hope you enjoy them, and happy holidays from me and Marie. Okay, great. So Neil, our good friend Neil. Our brother Neil. He just got here. He just got here. He just got I know. I know. I'm not going to like Antonin no. or Ruthie. <laughs> Let me just stop. <laughs> I love Ruth, by the way. I love you, Ruth Bader. But uh, yeah, so Justice Gorsuch, President Donald Trump nominated him to succeed Antonin Scalia. If you guys all remember, Scalia was an extremely conservative justice who normally weighed in the favor of right-wing politics. Mm-hmm. Gorsuch is a proponent of textualism and statutory interpretation. If what you, does that mean? Yeah, so what textualism is, it's an interpretation of the law based on the ordinary meaning of the legal text. Yeah. So basically, the Congress makes the law and then the court interprets it. What textualism does, it leans heavily in favor of the exact wording of the Congress, leaving little room for interpretation by the court. So basically, he's saying, I'm going to use this exact language that the Congress uses. We're not going to depart from them. If they have a problem with it, then they need to send this law back to legislation. The court should never depart from what Congress says. And Justice uh, Scalia, the late Justice Scalia, was also not only a textualist, but an originalist. Mm -hmm. And originalism is basically the same thing, but has to do with the Constitution. Yeah, it's a way to interpret the Constitution's meaning as stable from the time of enactment and which can only be changed by the steps set aside by the Article 5 of the Constitution. So it's the same thing. It's saying we're going to interpret this exactly how it's worded, and it can only be changed if we are going to go back and look at the Constitution and send it through legislation and once again. Obviously, the challenge of that is that you're trying Time to consuming, yeah. Well, the, the 1700s. I know. mean, it's, it's honestly horrible, because if we're given a law from Congress, or even looking at the Constitution, which originally disincluded minorities and women and mostly low-income groups, we're actually excluding a lot of these groups from today and not involving them in present legal issues if the law was never really meant for them. Yeah. And so that's pretty much the issue with that. So if we look at everything from an original meaning, we're actually bringing a lot of these original intents back into our law, which were problematic because before— Whereas slavery and such was legal, now, in steps of social recognition, we're trying to change that. If we're going to continue to defer to these laws, we're going to take our constitution back to this original context. The alternative to that is usually the idea of the constitution being a living document. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's not breathing, it doesn't have a pulse, but Mm -hmm. it's something that can change with time and with context and obviously the development of this country. And Mm -hmm. so the goal of the Senate, or at least the right-wing side of the Senate, was to find someone that could replace Justice Scalia's originalism and also textualism. And that's what they thought Justice Gorsuch could do. That's what he 
you know, feigned to support mm-hmm. in his nomination and confirmation hearings as well. Yeah, because, so, yeah. And he's also a Harvard alum. Is he? What yeah. year was he? He graduated from Harvard in 1991. 1991. Okay, so not even that long ago, to be honest. And I heard that he's one you of You know what? He was class. actually Barack Obama's classmate. Was he? Yeah. Wow, okay. That's crazy. Well, Obama's year is kind of shining then. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, right? What? <laughs> was popping off from Literally. So. so, what does Gorsuch's confirmation mean for the court system? Well, it means a lot of different things, right? If he is going to stick with an originalist interpretation like Justice Scalia did, it's going to mean that, again, the Supreme Court is going to be tilted very slightly towards the right. Yeah, and we're only saying very slightly because even Scalia was flexible on certain issues. Sometimes, but I mean... Certain issues, very strictly. I'm currently wondering whether he is as conservative as Justice Scalia is. And if he is, then it's probably a stronger tilt, right? Because a lot of the court cases we've seen over the past couple of years have been five to four decisions, right? Yeah, they have been five to four decisions. You always have, like, one mm -hmm. person that generally acts as a tiebreaker, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so if Justice Gorsuch is as conservative and he can kind of be put in that conservative spot most of the time, we'll have another era for multiple years, right? Potentially decades. Decades. Of five, four decisions where four people are on the more left or or liberal progressive side and are being undercut, leaving really terrible precedent for the future. Yeah, and And a lot of of the liberal critique is that if you are for women's rights or the earth or, yeah, like... (laughs) For life and... Literally, for breathing, (laughs) eat, clean air, all that such, then you're basically... You can't be for Gorsuch. Yeah. I'm wondering... If that is true. And looking at his former cases during his tenure as a 10th Circuit judge, I think that we can kind of reconcile these ideas. Mm. So, for example, for women's rights, we did see a big Gorsuch come in in the well-known Hobby Lobby case, which advocated a broad definition of religious freedom, Mm -hmm. according to Gorsuch. And what happened was the Hobby Lobbies and other similar institutions that were grounded in Christianity did not want to provide the contraceptive mandate on private businesses because they felt as though, as Christian institutions and organizations, they should not have to provide for contraception because it's kind of the antithesis to the religion. And we're not even going to argue that because that can— that's just dependent upon how you look at Christianity. However, that was the argument. And Gorsuch, he did write a concurrence, and he did say that we must protect unpopular religious beliefs because that vindicates our nation's long-held aspiration to serve as a refuge for religious tolerance. And so a lot of people took that as him saying, we're not providing contraception, we're not respecting women's reproduction, and Gorsuch just kind of saw it as religious freedom and as advocacy efforts. Mm -hmm. Also, we see him in the defunding of Planned Parenthood. He was totally for the defunding of Planned Parenthood, and a lot of women thought that that was another assault on women's rights. But the thing is, the reasoning behind him wanting to defund Planned Parenthood is because he 
believed that they were illegally selling fetal tissues, mm. which was a Proven huge issue. Proven Yeah, And the exactly. people that did it, I think, were prosecuted. Yeah, for, well, and, yeah, they released some it. tapes that misconstrued you a lot of... It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel Richard went right down like, a word? Yeah. Bet. Yeah, so from those Locked. two from those two instances, <laughs> he voted, I suppose, against what the liberals would have voted for, which then turned into him being another individual who would assault women's rights and women's reproduction. And there was one yeah. issue and one case that was brought up pretty heavily during his confirmation hearing that had to do with the uh, termination of employment for a truck driver who had to leave the cargo that he had mm-hmm. um, because his brakes had frozen over. Mm-hmm. And basically he was fired because they said you left this cargo here and and didn't take care of it and he was like i have no way for me to be able to survive in this cold weather i would have died right yeah he was suffering from hypothermia in that weather and so had to leave the cargo to go and find somewhere warm to stay the night before coming back the next day Mm -hmm. Um, and in that case justice gorsuch um, stood in favor of the employer in their, you know, choice to fire him for making that decision, mm-hmm. which was a pretty impossible choice. Well, and he has a history, kind of, of standing in favor of the corporations and the employers. And he even joined a unanimous panel of the Tenth Circuit in finding that it was unconstitutional for a Colorado law to set a limit on donations for writing candidates at half of the amount for major party candidates. Yeah. So he clearly is in favor of a lot of these financial corporations and such. I think that goes into a little bit of his stance on interstate commerce and the Dormant Commerce Clause, and he has been a strong opponent of that. This clause declares that it's unconstitutional for states to declare certain laws if they too greatly burden interstate commerce. And this may facially look like an economic law that just gives the federal government a little bit more power to regulate commerce. However, it's not just commerce that tends to get convoluted within this broad interpretation of the Dormant Commerce Clause. It usually ends up being social issues. For example, education, women's rights, and gun control have gotten into court by way of the interstate or the dormant commerce clause. And so this just shows that he plans to kind of widen the breadth of the Supreme Court or of the power of the judicial branch in general. And it's confirmed in his viewing of Chevron and on administrative law. Do you remember anything about (laughs) Chevron? We have to go. That is such a deep case to get into. I don't even know. Do you know, we shouldn't get into it. I think that just like a general overview of Chevron is that it... You have to give the full case name if you're going to do this. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I do. I do. (laughs) Chevron USA versus Natural Resources Defense Council. Which basically says that you want Uh, to give agencies of the federal government the the option. Yeah, Supreme Court instructed courts to grant deference to federal agencies' interpretation of ambiguous laws and regulations. So in the beginning, we talked about textualist and originalism and how Gorsuch might begin to interpret the law. And he's saying that federal agencies should not at all have deference to interpret these laws. And what happens if we take the deference from federal agencies to interpret these laws? The deference is given to the court system. So I think that this just, again, shows his initiative to widen the scope of power of the judicial branch. And I'm just questioning what that's going to do with 
Donald Trump's presidency, because Donald Trump has been a clear opponent of the judicial branch and of their interpretation of the law and of their ability to reject certain actions made by the executive branch. And if Gorsuch is going to widen the discretion of the judicial branch, we must wonder what's going to happen between Gorsuch and Trump at this point. Yeah. Like, basically, it creates a separation of powers issue. It does. Because the federal agencies are supposed to be able to have the power to make their own decisions absent the judiciary or only mm-hmm. with the review of the judiciary. But to take that power away from the agency makes it really tricky and, it again, allows judges to make more decisions than mm-hmm. what normally they would be allowed to do. And actually, that would be in contravention to what Justice Scalia would want, too. Mm-hmm. He never really wanted the judges to have that much power. But nevertheless, he was confirmed, right? Yeah. And that confirmation actually was a very complicated and important confirmation. It led to a major change in the political landscape by the selection and the choice to trigger the nuclear option, right? So the nuclear option is a really um, kind of arcane idea and strategy that has mm-hmm. been kind of dangled by different parties over time as a potential strategy to shut them up if they don't want something to go you know, yep. through. So what happens is anytime there is a nomination, there's the opportunity to filibuster by the minority party. By filibuster, we mean you get up and you talk so long, mm-hmm. so fervently, that they run out of time to make the vote and you basically halt the process, right? So it's like you- It's like the government shutdown and what they kept doing during in, Obama. In some ways, yeah. right? It's not financial. It's basically like the congressional version of protests in the streets where you stand in front of traffic, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you putting a halt to everything. And so the option that the majority party generally has is to trigger the nuclear option, which means that you reduce the hurdle that the majority party has to overcome to confirm someone. Normally, the Senate needed, I believe, 60 votes, right? Yeah, didn't they reduce it to 51? And they reduced it to 51. So 60 would have meant they had to work to garner some votes from Democrat senators in the Senate. Mm -hmm. With 51 votes, that requirement is significantly reduced such that they could confirm him on partisan yeah, lines. Yeah, on, on the strength of partisan lines. Exactly. Exactly. And that is what happened, right? And so without any I think Democrat that's support, honestly unconstitutional. Well, <laughs> like, it, it, uh, but what isn't these days? What it, isn't these days? The problem is, I think that right? that needs to be looked at and interpreted, honestly. Well, yeah, it, it's a... It's a House, it's a House and Senate rule, right? So it's yeah. something that isn't even based in Constitution. It's really based on how they get to interpret their own personal business, right? Mm-hmm. And, the and we see right him now, trying to expand interpretation regardless for the judicial branch. Yeah. And so the risk that's being created right now is that with this nuclear option having been triggered and with the filibuster power basically being completely disintegrated, it allows for many more party-line votes mm-hmm. in the near and far future. It means that there is the potential that any you know, person nominated for a post could be selected simply on party lines, and it leads to the risk that someone on the far right could choose an extremely far-right candidate and exactly. vote them in. Or and and, and remember, guys, right now the House is Republican and the Senate. So basically a lot of partisan issues could be deemed lawful based upon the the right side and their initiatives alone completely destroying the democratic agenda and so that kind of creates a, a scary purview of our future of outlook, right the democracy if you're able to 
with one party's choice alone, completely mm-hmm. redefine how we look at law, how we look at policy, how yeah. we look at the federal and the executive power. Um, you know, I actually wanted to get into also a little bit of what Gorsuch nomination would mean for the black community. His stance on gun control was that anyone who has a gun or is in possession of a gun, despite the legality of it, they're susceptible to being detained without reason, just because it's probable cause for them just carrying a gun. Mm. So basically, I think that he, we may see some support for him for a stop-and-frisk type of laws mm-hmm. and for over-policing in certain communities. And so yeah, that, like, that could be an issue. Now, and I just wanted to say that for the black community because, you know, we do want this podcast to be a voice. Yeah. And it's always important to kind of dissect the issues through the lens of what's going to happen to us. Here's hoping that we're able to really understand his viewpoint on these issues because I'm sure there are cases coming up this summer uh, that will allow him to really flex his muscle mm-hmm, and to mm-hmm. put his viewpoint. It's really sad to book. say it. Like more simply, like I'm sure someone's going to endure police brutality, and we're going to see Gorsuch and what his agenda really is concerning the black community because he hasn't really spoken out on it. Mm-hmm. Well, stay tuned for that, y'all. We're gonna take a quick break and we're gonna get back to the petty. Hi guys, we're back and we're here for the petty segment. We're actually here for it. Mm. (laughs) We're here for all the petty. (laughs) All right, let's talk about the Pepsi ad real quick because I want to get it over with because I'm sure you probably listened to a podcast or seen a news article or have generally been pissed about it already. First Kylie. of all, you see Kendall Jenner, right? Have I been calling her Kylie? No, I think it's Kendall. Yeah, Kendall. I hope so. <laughs> Either way, it doesn't matter. One of the, younger, one of the, one of the Kardashians. One of the Jenners, yeah, right? one of the Jenners Kardashians, yeah. So, Kendall Jenner is doing a photo shoot in, in the frame of a door on the street. She has this really wild-looking platinum blonde wig and some red lipstick that's matte, and she thinks that she's looking good, and she's leaning really So she thinks she's looking good. Scantily. Oh, my God, I wasn't ready for this. (laughs) So, all of a sudden, a group of protesters start marching down the street. You see different scenes of largely people of color doing things I don't think it, that I don't think it was so many yeah was it like so many people of color I just like saw like just so many groups of people they were trying to bring together well, all of them were tokenized and all of them felt like they were being used as props right you have a brown guy that's doing some things yeah. you have a hijabi woman who is taking photos yeah. out of nowhere and she like slams the desk and she's like oh I'm so mad yeah protest right um, and I feel that, right? That's dope. You see everyone start to take to the streets. You see a line of yeah, police, Yeah, some right? people interpreted that as her, them trying to, rep- at least attempting to represent the key characters of different races. I Probably. I don't think they did it in a very meaningful way, right? Because I don't think that any of those people were centered. The entire, mm-hmm. the entire no, they focus weren't. of this was, hey, look at what Kendall Jenner does, right? Yeah. But, um, so basically, you see the scene of um, a police line standing in front of the protesters, mm-hmm. very reminiscent of some of the things you've seen in images of the past, although it was during the day. So it Very reminiscent of the civil rights era and of the Black Lives Matter movements, whereas 
the police are standing there. Mm -hmm. But the difference between these movements and this Pepsi commercial's depiction of the movement is that these police were extremely peaceful. Kendall Jenner strips off her blonde identity, whatever that meant. We can get into that later. Mm -hmm. And she walks up to the police officer and hands him a Pepsi, which in turn makes the entire protest cheer and everything go away and police now, brutality matter, you know. <laughs> police brutality is no longer an issue you know, and no one's getting arrested no one's getting arrested no one's getting shot no one's getting gassed no, you know. yeah, yeah every so Donald everything Trump's no longer president no. Obama's back <laughs> you know. Michelle is back Malia and Sasha are here for it so all is fixed by Kendall Jenner's Pepsi there we go. Look, she came with the Pepsi. <laughs> apparently, that was the end of the civil rights movement as we know it. Yes. So she got all of the flame on Twitter and Instagram and Tumblr and Facebook and Pinterest and probably on her app, too. I imagine she has an app. Uh, so I'm sure you've heard about all of that. And I'm wondering at this point, right, because Pepsi put out their apology. They're like, oh, whoops, our bad, Kendall. We didn't mean to put you in this position. Whatever, right? Yeah. But it also makes me want to think about what does it mean for corporations and agents of capitalism to be... That's exactly, and that's what my argument was. The commercial, it took the representation of several movements that are integral to the enlightenment of intersectional oppression and trivialized them by using capitalism. And capitalism is one of the issues that we're actually protesting against. So they commodified the need, the community's need to galvanize against commodification. You're you're right, though, is that Mm -hmm. it's not even the issue, like, if Kendra Jenner wasn't in this commercial... It wouldn't be perfect. It wouldn't be great, right? Because if anyone, whoever was wearing the blonde wig and transitioned to the brown hair and then gave the coke to the officer, yeah, whoever it was, yeah, exactly. They were still trying to capitalize off of a movement that's so serious and integral to our community that it became insulting. Yeah. So that is why the commercial is problematic, and I'm glad that Pepsi pulled the commercial. Although I do not plan to reconcile my feelings with Pepsi. <laughs> Because it was bad taste. Yeah, who even likes Pepsi? (laughs) Well, one thing that did come up, though, is that they showed, at least I saw it on Tumblr, they were like, oh, hey, like, if you really want to boycott Pepsi, then you got a ton of products to boycott. I saw that. I I Um, don't know. Is that true? Everyone apparently was like, Mariah Carey, oh, suddenly I cannot read. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) People were like, love us some lave. Mariah Carey. But I think even that is an element of this. But too, wasn't right? Beyonce in a, in a Pepsi commercial before? She definitely has had a Pepsi yeah, uh, endorsement. Endorsement. Before. But no, we're not. We're not talking about Queen Bee here. We didn't even get mm. into that. But that is some tea. That is some tea. But we don't even get into that. Mm. You know what? We should. Yeah, we can end this segment right now, real quick. And I need to talk about Be oh. Humble. The Humble Music video was one that I thought was was really interesting, had some really great um, visuals in it. I personally am really excited about the scene. I'm pretty sure he used, like, a drone camera, and he's, like, standing in the parking lot, and he's getting different angles that are all very smooth, right? I'm pretty sure it was a drone at, like, 60 frames per second or something doing that. But it gave me some really interesting visuals. There is, however, a feminist critique that's been launched at Kendrick Lamar. And it's one that is really complex, and we, you know, people have kind of been grappling with it. I've been having conversations with people about it. Um, and, Bray, I wanted to get your take on it, too, because I don't know if you have well, like some girl. about it. Well, I mean, you're a black woman, and I want... My I'm thing a with girl. This, my thing with this has been, I don't feel that I can 
say yes, this is right or no, this is wrong. So okay, so my, my guy, take on this. Know? Okay, so what the controversy is over is the fact that he's telling women to stop basically being fake, and then and he wants to see. For the example, there was a line about him wanting to see a natural. Glu- I, gluteus maximus. <laughs> like, I, I know a natural. Yeah, uh, a natural gluteus maximus. He wants to see a butt with stretch marks. With stretch right? marks. In the yeah. visuals, he actually has one woman on Turn, in yeah. one frame with makeup, and then she walks into another frame with no makeup on, right? And there's yeah. also been the critique that. And then he has the booty with the stretch marks yeah. on the on the scene exactly and so, and so mm-hmm. what he's telling people and honestly like in the scenes that he's actually telling people this it, there's a lot of men and it's like men mm-hmm. the men are saying be humble be humble and then obviously they're talking to the women because they're saying they're who they're they're saying the b-word i think so they're saying yeah i was thinking that they're all saying like be like they're talking be to humble women they exactly mm-hmm. and and talking about like the makeup and the hair and the butt shots and the surgeries and such, and then comparing that woman to the natural woman with the who's unafraid to show her stretch marks and her mm-hmm. flaws and such. Mm-hmm. And so a little while back, uh, I saw in the shade room that everyone was upset with Tyrese, you know, the singer, because he had said something similar to women being natural and women, you know... Uh, yeah, and he where, just did it again, like, I think a day or two He ago. didn't learn his lesson because he got dragged. I'm very sure he just did it a couple <laughs> days ago. You need to stop that. You need to stop that, Tyrese. is not cute, but... Um, <laughs> well, I mean, he basically was saying something along the lines He was talking of, a lot about lace friends is what I... He was, like, saying, like... So this is a I new think, one. No, the old one... It, it, so I don't, I don't want to misconstrue information here and be like, oh, I think he said, I think he said, but I know that what he was saying advocated a natural woman as opposed to someone who wore weaves and I think that he was saying like God, we can tell like as men what, who's wearing a weave and who's wearing X, Y, and Z. And so the new one, right, that just came out was separate. So this one he's talking about women not settling for men and saying, he basically was saying if you're single that means that he said that's good because that means that you have high standards but if you have a man at all times, and that means that you have very low standards. And he said that, what? oh, if you're a promiscuous woman, then you'll always be caught with some guy on your arm, right? What? So he said that? Again, I didn't even read that. What are you doing? Again, what, is his, what is his mode of advocacy? Like, what is the purpose? And, and I think that launches the very primary critique is why do black men... So I can see why this would be a feminist critique, because obviously it's advancing the black men's need to control yeah. the way black women present themselves. Like, yeah. So should we have natural hair? Should we not have natural hair? Should we try to fix our bodies in certain ways? Should we not try to fix our bodies in these ways? And I think that it's severely problematic at this point, now that I'm thinking of it and seeing it through this lens, especially the Tyrese yeah. comments. And I don't want to correlate the Tyrese comments with the objectives and be humble, because that could be an unfair correlation. But um, I think it speaks to just the general idea that, like, black men are trying to be positive. They're trying to, to do, like, a form of positive Well, yeah, they could be saying, yeah, it's okay to be yourself. It's okay to be yourself. Mm-hmm. But I think in that affirmation, we can look at the past and what black men, especially black men on platforms, the kinds of women that they choose and that they marry and that we see on their arms, mm-hmm. and they're not these types of women Isn't with natural engaged? hair and stretch. Isn't he a woman? And, oh! Which the tea! Say, but what, Let's look it up. I mean, that isn't to say that 
you know, that have anything to do with her or that by the fact that he's dating someone that is light-skinned or has wavy hair, that he's a hypocrite, right? But it is a question uh, of... It's question. It's very questionable. Well, I, but I, I guess it's that, better because... Right. I mean, I guess it's better be, for him. I think that he's thinking because his woman, she already has long hair, so she doesn't need the weave and stuff, and she's... Like, I would never want the person that I love to be questioned just because they are light-skinned or whatever, but I do think it's indicative of the politics that but you're then again, I think that I don't want to go too far and talk about like the whole light skin, dark skin. Exactly. I don't want to say, oh, it's the, the problem is that she's light skin. I'm saying the problem might be that we see that your fiance is wearing makeup and has natural long hair that some people can't grow. And so for you to say, oh, y'all need a or Tyrese or whoever, and you guys are saying you need to stop seeing all these makeup and these weaves or whatever to say that about women who want and and, I, and it may not even be like a growth thing it just may be a versatility thing like you know we can switch it up like we have curly hair we have straight hair like we want long hair sometimes we want short hair sometimes we want purple hair but who is the man to try to control the autonomy of the choices that we make with our bodies and I think that this could even be uh, an assault on women's rights in similar ways mm -hmm. as the white man and as capitalism becomes mm. an assault on women's rights. And so I think that mm -hmm. we need to think about the intersectionality in our community with those oppressive objectives that I think that you guys are trying to enforce on the black women community by telling us like we, we can't wear weave and we can't do this and we can't do this and to try to embrace a natural beauty with the premise that us wearing these things are not embracing the natural beauty that we have Definitely. not embracing our versatility or our diverse and unique attributes. Absolutely. Like, I think it's about, in saying you don't have to wear this, it's almost centering men in that way because it assumes that women are wearing makeup for men and that's yeah. never been And it's ever. never been the case. So. If I, look, please, mm -hmm. men don't notice, like, you guys don't know if I'm going to buy some Ruby Rue and wear it, but a woman will stop and be like, oh my god, that's Ruby Rue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that it's just, obviously, a bunch of unfair assumptions about beauty and a bunch of unfair standards about what natural beauty is or isn't, and I think that we should kind of stay away from that because, again, it takes a Away from the autonomy of us to make choices based upon our preferences, yeah. especially stylistically and physically. And then it becomes like a mental burden, like, oh, maybe I should have to wear my hair out because mm. it's preferred and people are going to think I'm Yeah, fake. like the alternative to a don't wear makeup, wear natural ha uh, hair idea is that you make people feel that they have to do that or they're fake, right? It's not for everybody. And it doesn't have to be, right? And I'm talking about preference-wise. I'm not talking about whether or not they can pull it off. Well, look, I'm waiting for Kendrick to either hear about this critique or respond to it, because I haven't seen either. And, I mean, maybe the rest of the album will help us to understand how he truly feels about these issues. But, yeah. you know, keep an eye out for that, because I'm sure it it's going to be coming week, out. And we'll and talk about be, it next week, probably. And it'll probably be very litty, and I'm very excited for it. Litty. Let's move really quickly, you know, kind of back in time, because we really wanted to bring you up to speed. A number of HBCU uh, leaders went to the White House to visit with President Trump. Yeah, um, and someone on Facebook actually told me that that proves that he's not racist, by the way. He sat in the room with HBCUs and he offered them funding. So he's definitely not racist, amongst all other things. And yeah. so I think there were quite a number of HBCUs that were represented. I think over 60 were represented at the White House. You know, we're talking of Spelman, we're talking about Texas Southern University, Tuskegee, 
really well-known HBCUs brought leaders to the White House to go talk with him. I'm sure you've probably seen the infamous uh, photo of Kellyanne Conway uh, trying to take the picture of them. That was problematic. And, and, and there was, a, in, in particular, a comment that Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos made after this event happened, making the statement that, you know, HBCUs are a manifestation of school choice, right? Something that Something she, she didn't exactly. I wish we could exactly quote her. Do you have the exact quote? She did because I don't want to misquote anyone and then give alternative facts here. She see, she said something oh. along the lines of, and it was a tweet. You know, a republic. They love the tweeting. It had to do with choice and education, but then again, Betsy DeVos is inextricably tied to choice. She loves autonomy. Yeah, yeah. Or the pretense of it. And, and so I wanted to kind of unpack that because I felt like, as a child, right, we always hear the thing, you know, learn about history and understand history lest you repeat it. And I feel like over the past few months that have gained more and more kind of uh, meaning to me personally mm -hmm. because I see so many different political moves that are being made based on rhetoric that is very reminiscent of things that we've seen in the past. And I think that a lot of the times we forget the kind of initial events that led to our current situation. And that is how we're allowed to, you know, give a Betsy DeVos the opportunity to say a statement like this, right? Yeah. Like say for example, you know, her making this comment about school choice. That requires us to think about one, what school choice is, and two, what are the origins of historically black colleges and universities. By school choice, um, Betsy DeVos, that means, you know, kind of creating a free market of education where you have you know, this charter school versus this private school versus this public school, all of them vying for your uh, child's, you know, uh, attendance at their school. Um, the issue with that, though, is that there are so many different complicated elements to creating school choice, such as where does the federal funding and the state funding for education go when you have a charter school that's taking away public funds or you have a public school that is underperforming compared to the other schools in its area. It mm -hmm. creates a really challenging um, financial oh, issue exactly. that the Department of Education is kind of picking a side on, right? It's saying we are on the side of choice, which means we want to have as many school options available as possible, sometimes obscuring or limiting the ability of a public school to gain the uh, resources that it needs to maintain a baseline level of education yeah. in the area. So what, what Betsy says, our good sister Betsy, mm. she says that HBCUs are real pioneers when it comes to school choice. They are a living proof that when more options are provided to students, they are afforded greater access and greater quality. Mm -hmm. So when we read that in, in the context of the HBC, historically black colleges and universities were created in the same way in that- In a post-slavery Jim Crow era that didn't allow African-Americans to attend American schools, which compelled them to found their own schools and institutions. So- Yeah, no, I mean, that's basically it, right? Like we're yeah. thinking about Brown versus Board of Education, right? A very well-known um, Supreme Court case, right, where we were able to desegregate schools. The case schools in which the culmination of education mm. and desegregation was met. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we don't even have to talk about that. Like, well, yeah, no, I mean, I'm not going into great detail on <laughs> yeah. it, but I think that it's very important for us to remember why we had a Brown v. Board, which is that there were a number of different education places, right? Schools, universities, right? There were also cases on law schools admitting um, people of color. 
all of these different schools were saying, we don't want you here. We don't care where you go. We don't care how you learn. We just don't want you in our space. And so I think it's very meaningful for us to remember and kind of pay homage to these leaders who decided that they were going to maintain spaces of education, places of learning and higher learning for the black community, for people of color, creating this from the ground up in many ways reminiscent of the ways that black community members have done this over time in America. Like we've highlighted during this segment, mm -hmm. in the black community, it's very prevalent. Lack of socioeconomic resources, lack of socioeconomic mobility, lack of access to these types of institutions. And so when the HBCU leaders came together and created these types of institutions, it wasn't because we had a choice. It wasn't because there was autonomy. Yeah. It was because we lacked the access. And so when Betsy DeVos completely undermines that with her comments on HBCUs pioneering the way for school choice, we're just questioning her motives at this point. Yeah. Or how much she even knows. Very much. How much does she know? Well, she, she, she makes a spelling error in every tweet. So ah, wait. Hold on. We're, no, in the, she not, she we're in the political. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think it speaks, you know, very clearly to her motivations, right? You know, if you looked at the confirmation hearings for Betsy DeVos, they were very fraught. Um, there was a moment when Senator Elizabeth Warren, who's really amazing, does great work in the Senate, um, you know, really grilled her and said, you know, have you ever had a child, you or your children, receive federal assistance to go to college. Her response was, no, none of us have, but I know people that have. I mean, right? Elizabeth Warren, she is so, so hilarious. I love her. I love the fact that she eventually just got kicked out of the hearings <laughs> for turning Well, yeah, for, for turning up, right? Yeah, for, for, for being for trying angry. To read. She tried to read a letter from Coretta Scott King about Jeff Sessions, so. Yeah, yeah, she's been doing really great work um, in that regard. We know about Secretary DeVos. We know about her history. We know about the history of HBCUs, right? We know about we don't we don't know if she knows about Obama's any of that right? lack of any education experience. That's what I'm trying to say, right? It's like beyond running administrations um, and kind of like organizations that deal with this, right? Which has nothing to do Not with really administration. I mean, we could, of we could talk systems, more about her history right? and why we're so adamantly against her being the secretary of education other than the fact that she has not at all any qualifying factors about herself. But that was just our general overview of HBCUs, of, oh, and the outcome, the, hmm? the outcome of the HBCUs meeting with him. Go ahead. <laughs> he did promise to expand their budget. However, the budget plan that came out, it actually listed a less budget than their they have right now, so I think they hmm. cut their budget. Really? Yeah. 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 No, there's definitely been talk of that um, within the DOE, so mm -hmm. I it makes you really worry where you can have kind of this really nice photo opportunity, right? And you say, look at me with all of these these great black folks. Yeah. And then well, they were expressing their cautious optimism that the increased funding that they requested might actually make it into the White House budget. It did not. Mm. Oh, so they were looking for more money. Yeah, so they currently have 577 million. So they were, if not just maintain or up that, they wanted to at least maintain it. Mm -hmm. And Trump's first presidential budget released uh, last Thursday called for maintaining a $492 million budget in appropriations for HBCUs, which actually is less than the 577 million that they already have. Mm. 
And also the new budget just does not mention any federal investments in scholarships, technology, or campus infrastructure for the historically black colleges that the leaders requested. And also, instead of expanding the Pell Grants for low-income students to cover summer courses as they asked, the budget took nearly $4 billion from the program's reserves. Oh, so, my goodness. Okay. Yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> I mean, I guess this is the result of meeting with <laughs> President Trump, right? It's yeah, like, so they met with him, and he just, he, what did he do? So what did they talk about? Like, I, I really think that was for the picture. And how do you, I wonder how President Trump, well, did I just call him President Trump? <laughs> did I just say that? It's okay. It's true. I wonder how Mr. Trump feels about the fact that these institutions sought help from the federal branch and he kind of cut them out the budget. I mean, I feel like that was a decision he probably made. Or if that wasn't in his hands, maybe it was in the hands of... I mean, the meeting was Mm. to assuage the skepticism that he was going to overturn, like... Was it? Yeah, I mean, I thought so. This is what he was going to do. And then he ended up doing it. And then here he's backed by his DOE, uh, Secretary Betsy DeVos, and she comes and she's calling these institutions the real pioneers when it comes to school choice. And clearly she's misguided when it, we're thinking about choices anyways because everything that she has going on with education right now is completely neoliberal and school choice is clearly not in the reins for the needy. Just say that. Yeah. <laughs> Who's really choosing here? So exactly. we're going to start with... Tell me. Trainwreck Lunchbox, um, <laughs> also known as Tommy Lauren. Tommy, or Tommy. Tommy Lauren. Tommy, I don't know. No one Tommy knows. Lauren. No one knows. It's really weird. No one knows. So, so first we wanted to give a applause. Well, let's talk about, let, I'll give you, let's talk about who she is first, just in case, you know. Oh a lot of people are going to be listening like, who? Yeah. Who? Okay, so. So, Tommy Lauren is a online news personality. She ran a news program on an online platform called The Blaze. I believe that it is uh, run by Glenn Beck, who has recently mm-hmm. had a change of heart and now apologizes mm-hmm. for all the terrible things, including racist and misogynist things that he said about people in the Obama administration, including President Obama himself. So, Tommy Lauren had her own show and used her platform to basically berate a lot of different really important political issues, right? So she yeah. at one point called Black Lives Matter, you know, reminiscent of the KKK. She's berated Black Lives Matter in terms of its political activism. She contradicted herself a lot within the beratement of Black Lives Matter because she tried to attribute the entire, not even just the entire movement, because when she tries to trivialize the entire movement into the violent aspects that the movement could sometimes result in during these protests, uh, she completely just disregards everything that Black Lives Matter actually stands for, which might actually be that Black lives do matter. But anyways, and she it goes tried, beyond that, right? Yeah, like and, yeah. <laughs> talking about immigrants, talking about yeah, people that don't oh, speak English. She, um, oh my God. Yeah. So there's a lot of things like that, right? And when asked, and I, and I thought this was funny because she mm. said that Obama was basically the spearhead of Black Lives Matter. He, she wasn't saying that in a way that was. Good. She was saying that in a stigmatizing way to say that he condoned and perpetuated the violence that is Black Lives Matter. Uh, when we all know that Black Lives Matter is not violent, she had trivialized the entire movement into this little box and then attributed the worst of its qualities. 
to Obama. And so when asked if it's like that with Obama, then how isn't it like that with Trump when he has KKK members saluting in his name and such? How is it any different? Mm -hmm. She couldn't answer. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah, no. So she was on a daytime uh, talk show. It was one of the, like, the talk or the real or the view. I don't think she was on the real. <laughs> it was one of those. But she went on to talk about some issues um, in current events, and they talked about abortion for a period of time. And so she made what apparently is a controversial statement in saying she that... She made the only logical statement she's made in her entire career. She said that government should not restrict women's reproductive rights and their ability to get an abortion. Well, I mean, yeah, that's basically what she said, right? She she was saying she was logical for once. Thank she said you. something along the lines of, "I don't want the government intruding in my private business," right? So that was a pretty broad statement, right? It, it talks about abortion rights, talks about um, workplace rights, gun, um, you know, gun control rights, right? She was trying to make this a very broad statement of like, "Government, stay out of my my personal space, stay away from my body," right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was also read to mean that she was pro-choice. Oh no, pro-choice guys. And so this, I guess, went through the grapevine to the blaze, and they said, "Well, that's a great opinion that you have. You're now suspended." Um, so they ended up suspending her uh, television show uh, based on that. And it's been released recently that it's actually been indefinitely suspended um, for the time being. And so it looks like Tommy Lauren might be out of the job. Well, good. Um, Maybe she'll go on Facebook Live and start a new show of her own. And that's what I kind of wanted to talk about, right? Is like, what will be the next step for Tommy Lauren? Because I don't believe that she's going away, right? I think she's built up enough of a following based on being a young, you know, blonde white woman, right? Based on having very strong... Um, political Strong, viewpoints, controversial right? viewpoints um, yeah. that clearly conflict with her political affiliation. Yeah, and representing this kind of mold of the the far right commentator, right? I'm thinking of like a Megyn Kelly, right? Before she dis, you know, associated herself with Fox News and then moved on to other platforms. Um, and and that's kind of what I feel like Tommy Lauren is preparing herself to do. So She's looking she for might, her next step. Uh, get picked up by somebody. I would not be surprised if she Maybe did. Bill O'Reilly. Right? I think. I, I won't be surprised if I start to see her doing commentary work on Fox News in hopes of getting her own show, right? I think that Fox um, News was one of the media platforms that turned their back on her, though. I w- oh, is that true? I'm not entirely I'm, sure, no, actually. I'm not even sure. I wouldn't be surprised, though, because, I mean, the fact that she said she was pro-choice, pro-choice is something yeah. that has probably blacklisted her in a lot of different conservative news outlets, right? So what do you think? She's going she's gonna to cross over and become liberal? <laughs> I don't think, oh, no, I don't think that. She's not welcome happen. over here. Return to Cinder. You guys take her back because we don't uh, want her. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely don't think that's going to happen. Though, I, I know you remember when those tweets came out from, like, years ago where she was, like, saying things that were relatively moderate, if not liberal. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Or not liberal, but probably just Democrat-ish. Um, she just needs to stay over where she can comfortably perpetuate a political orthodoxy. And a monoculture, and <laughs> using these big and, words to describe Tommy Lauren is doing her a disservice. So. Doing her a disservice. I don't she think... needs to stay over there where she can keep being racist. How is that? <laughs> don't hurt, don't she needs to stay over there feelings. where she can keep being racist. <laughs> like, all right. Well, I mean, you know, rest in peace to Tommy Lauren's career until we see her again. Tommy. Sorry, um, but you can't come over sure. here. We don't want you. Thank you. Bye. We're we're very sure that we'll be seeing. <laughs> Um, her somewhere soon. I don't plan to see her anywhere. She's going to be black. She's blacklisted. But okay, on to bigger and better things. Mm, big, bigger and better. <laughs> All right. 
made me smaller. What are we course. trying to talk about next? Nicki Minaj oh. and, <laughs> and Remy Ma. I had to weigh in on this. I couldn't keep my mouth closed about this beef. I'm going to weigh in on it. Pull up in the monster automobile gang. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Who? Cam doesn't want to get into it. I'm going to make him get into this. I story. didn't say that. Who won the rap battle? Who won? That's say not it a on air. For me. No, say it right now. Say it while That's we're. That's a question say for me. Say it. Who won? Who won the rap battle? Was there a rap battle? Yes. Was there really? It started it with the Gucci song, ending with. It didn't even end with no frauds because she done cut herself off. Ending with no. Ending <laughs> with Sheether. <laughs> Why you Who made me won? do this? Sheether was a great record. All right. It was Sheether a great was gift record. seven okay. minutes of bars, straight bars. So I need to know. And that's, you, do you and, see this? He's trying to circumvent that. the entire question. That is He's not just, true. Okay, so All right, yes, so let me just say won? how I feel. And then who you can won? Give no, your, no, no. I don't want to hear how you felt. Let just me, tell us who won. Let me tell you how I truly feel, and then you can give your case, I really hope right? that you're not going to get all political. Here's we already passed the political segment, and if you're going to come in here talking about how women shouldn't be attacking women on that's distracts. That's not what I was going to say. Okay, so tell us. Here's how I feel, all right? Personally, I'm uninterested in rap beef. All right. The reason I don't like rap beef is because it makes it such that I have to not listen to someone if I want to be consistent with my feelings on rap beef. Oh my god! Like, are, so because you believe Nicki Minaj lost, are you going to stop <gasps> listening to her music? I am so uninterested in Nicki Minaj right now and whatever she puts out. Honestly, were you interested in her music before she lost? I was to never like a fa- I was never someone who's like, oh, I need to go buy this Nicki Minaj. True, movie. but or, you would oh. listen to, but you would listen to a super bass every once in a while. I mean, I don't think that it should change your musical preference and what you like to listen to. If it's either artist, I think that it should change your mind. If you had thought before that Nicki Minaj was the queen of rap, it should change your mind as to who actually is the queen of rap rather than what you're going to like to listen to. Sure, sure. All right. We can say that. Okay. I don't think, because for me, I don't care about the label in that anyway. Like, sure, you're not the queen of rap anymore. Great. I mean, uh, great. Not. Okay, great. Fine. So you're not. Fine. Thank you. Finally. Okay, but, so Nicki Minaj, you are not. You need to stop. Okay, don't act like it. Don't act like it because we don't care. First of all, I don't know why she thinks that No Fraud is shot to the top because it's a good song. It didn't. It shot to the top because you put it on iTunes and we all had to pay to listen to this disc that we were waiting on for weeks how how long did it take? <laughs> Two, weeks. <laughs> Two weeks. It's just look, oh I know all the greats, sweetheart. You're not the great. Look, Sweet, I no. found no frauds to be catchy, um, cute. All of those things. Yeah, it was. I'll listen was to a, it, it again. Was, yeah, I would listen to. I like. Right? Yeah, I listen to it. Yeah, I'll put it as a. So like yeah. that's where I stand. It's like sure, like she lost, but don't expect me to go to every. Place hearing a Nicki Minaj song and be like, nah, turn that off. Play some Remy. Who now. would expect you to some do that? Some people feel that way. Some people are so strongly in so favor th- of Remy. I mean, but they're just so passionate about things that don't have anything to do with them anyway. And like, here's what I also feel like, all right? So Remy went to jail and she's You're now gonna, come I, back. Exactly. And now exactly. she has a career, right? Here's my issue. Just to preface, I'm 22 years old. All right? I'm 23, guys. <laughs> I, I did not know about Remy Ma before she went to prison. And apparently she had a she had a great career before then too, right? And that's why a lot of people liked her when she came back. I had no idea who she was when she left or when she went to prison and when she came out until I heard seven years ago. Until I heard All the Way Up. I heard All the Way Up and I was like, oh yeah, that's a great song, Fat Joe. But her building up her brand and like becoming like a well known rap artist 
is like the same way to me that like Nicki Minaj did. Like she just kind of came up. It's not like she's back. It's like, oh, she just started to me. Yeah, right? and that's one um, thing I wanted to say about Nicki Minaj's constant need to show us what's in her bank account and whatever else. It's like, okay, if Remy Ma had more money than you, then it would be problematic at this point, right? Because she's been in jail for seven years. So she shouldn't <laughs> have she shouldn't have the same amount of money and endorsements and even the same platform as you. So like mm-hmm. it, the people who would listen to her music, we were all too young to know who she was when she yeah. got locked up. And so now we're the generation that's supposed to be listening. Yeah. Now we're trying to listen. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that when it comes to lyrics and presentation, Remy Ma killed it. Nicki Minaj, you are no longer, or I don't, I never thought you were like the greatest oh, rapper. Anyways, you're not the queen of rap. You need to let it go. I just think Take it's important. Take the L and let it go. It's important to to realize and to recognize and appreciate and that. be humble about it. Like, why are you posting? Now she's like really like posting every achievement and stuff. Like, shut, girl, we don't care. We didn't care. We didn't doubt the fact that you could capitalize off of this rap beef and turn it into a mainstream hit, which you did with no frauds. We didn't doubt you could do that, especially adding Drake. Didn't you? <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, uh, it, we didn't doubt that you could do that. We doubted that you could rap, and you did not assuage those doubts. You exacerbated them, and now we know who the queen of rap is. So, it's did you true. hear her newest um, response to David Guetta? Wait, who? Who? Uh, Nicki Minaj? Yeah. Did a, oh my God, she responded. So she did a new song like, that up. came out last week. God. Um, it was. Pro- it's a production by David Guetta. It also has Lil Wayne on it, and the first, the very first you know, verse of the song is another a clap back to Remy Ma. What does it say? And it wasn't bad, but the rest of the song was. So it was like the very the first verse is like a rap verse, and then the rest of the song is like song lyrics, which is really weird, right? God. But it was like. Um, Remy, please don't respond because you already made your point. We already know. We already know us up. Like, just don't respond to this girl. I'm trying to remember the lyrics to it because it was like it was catchy, but it wasn't. It wasn't like it no, wasn't. A like, I, I deep never thought cut, that she was lyrical. I never know? thought. And then she repeats a lot like that. Ho ha ha ha! I took two bars just to laugh at him. That was she came out with that in the baddest, you know what era? The <laughs> she does. Okay, well, Remy won. I feel like you've free aired your Remy. feelings. Okay. <laughs> Remy free, all right. And apparently she's being paid too. So Yeah. Have you aired I just your saw grievances? Her on Empire. I saw her on Empire. Empire. <laughs> Did she get on Empire? Yeah, I saw her on Empire. She was when? on Empire on the last, most recent episode. Like after it was so good. Like after it was so good. So good. Did they Girl, choose you her because so of the diff is what I'm trying no, to find out. No, they chose her because she's a star. <laughs> like, you know what? Come on the show. Like, you know what? We'll fit you in. Yeah, no, yeah. She she had a performance at the uh what's it what's she got it into rap beef on, on Empire No she, what's that the the Leviticus shit on Empire? I don't watch Empire. I don't oh know. my gosh, you're I'm missing sorry. out. Remy Ma, you're doing your thing. Keep coming up. Don't worry about nobody else. All right, Remy Stan. <laughs> I wonder no, what the Remy stands are called. I can be object I hope they don't come up with a name. But I'm I can sure be objective about it and still be like, okay, who raps better? 
fair. Yeah, and be like, oh, it's Remy. I'm just kind of, you know. I'm, know I'm waiting for Nikki. I'm just, I just want people to be okay if Nikki comes back with a better verse in the near future. I don't think she will. She but if she does, y'all better be ready. No, because it's not fair. Because at if that, she does. At, that, at the point that she comes back with a better verse in the near, or and it doesn't seem like the near future at this point, at the far future, uh, it'll be like, how long did it take you to write that? Like two months? Or not even for you to write it, but for you to get someone to write we it. We need to have rules for this, okay? That's what we really need to do, okay? Rules for what? For rap beef. But we'll talk about that oh another time. Oh, my God. What are <laughs> rap beef rules? You know, I like how, like, Bill Meyer has, like, the new rules at the end of the session. Yeah, we're going to come up with the rules. But that'll be next time, guys, because we took all of our time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Petty Politics. We hope we were able to help you understand some issues mm-hmm. or at least open your mind up to some issues you haven't yeah. thought about or just add to an ongoing conversation you've been having with your friends and family. Just open up a space for these type of conversations that need to be had in our community. So. Absolutely. Right now, we want to give you some more information about our social media. If you want to follow us on Twitter, please follow us at Harvard Bolsa. That's at Harvard Bolsa. We have the same exact Instagram handle on Facebook, where Harvard Black Law Students Association. If you have any legal problems, yeah, no, 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 yes, 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 yes. <gasps> oh my God, you're supposed to take the bar. You're like, oh, you get out the pay me. Don't. That's getting. He's gonna get in trouble, guys. <laughs> no. Don't text me. Don't don't text me. Right. Don't text me with any legal advice. I will not help you. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to talk about that. Anymore. All right, so take it easy. We'll see y'all sometime soon.